Well, I've said it before, but if you were not able to worship this morning, your worshiper is broken. Have you been blessed today? Amen. We're nearing the end of our study of the letter to the Colossians, written by the Apostle Paul, and he has given us so much that we desperately need in our day to learn how to be real as Christians, not just Christians in name only, but what it really means to have a living Lord Jesus inside of us and how that is worked out into daily life. But as we come to the end of chapter 4, it begins to sound more like a letter. And Paul's telling us some things and addressing some things. And uh, too many times commentators and even Bible teachers sort of fly through this section. And yet there's something here that we need to see today. The title of this morning's message is Build Real Relationships with Real Christians. Several years ago, Tim Sanders, in a book called Love is the Killer App, suggests that you and I could categorize everything in our life in three ways, either as glass or metal or rubber. Now, if something is classified as rubber in your life, well, it's something that if you drop it, if you don't take care of it, if you don't pay attention to it, you're going to bounce back from it. You're going to survive. For example, if I miss a college football season, it's not the end of the world. And I said that in first hour, my wife gave me a hard look. But if I miss an LSU game, I'll survive, we'll recover, we'll get through it. But, uh, but those are things in your life made of rubber. You will bounce back. Then there are things made of metal. And if you handle something of metal and you drop that in your life, it's going to make a lot of noise, but it's not irreparable damage. If you're a student in a classroom and you miss a class, you can get the notes. If you are, if you are writing a check and you uh, get a notice from the bank that you didn't have enough money in the bank to cover that check and you bounce that check, Well, it's going to make a lot of noise. It's not going to feel good, but you will survive. But then there are things in your life that are made of glass. And I brought something with me. I actually brought a glass. And something that's made of glass in your life is something that you can't afford to drop, can you? Because when you drop something like glass, and there are things in your life that are like glass, the consequences are pretty significant. And so I'm going to attempt to drop this glass safely. And uh, it was an experience in the first hour. We'll see how it goes here. Someone suggested I put left too much air in the bag last time, David. So we'll see. All right, I'm going to drop this. I've got some, some, a hard surface here. And I'm going to drop this glass. And some things in our life are like this. Well, let's try that again. <laughs> It had nothing to do with the air in the bag, apparently. So let's try it again. Well, all right. Well, we're going to have to do this the way I did it in first hour. Okay. All right. Some things in your life are like glass. And if you don't pay attention to it and you drop it, you might, in 100 years, take this and glue the pieces back together 
but it will never be the same, you probably will not get all of the pieces back the way they were, and there are consequences to the damage caused by dropping glass. Relationships are like that for believers. Our relationships are the most precious things we have. Our relationships with family members, with friends, with Christian friends are valuable and precious. We cannot afford to let those relationships slide. That is why you hear your staff pastors talking often and long about the importance of Bible study groups. We believe that it is in the context of a group that you can forge the kind of relationships that the Apostle Paul is describing in this passage of Scripture. Without that environment, you can come to church, listen, enjoy it, and go home, but you will not be able to do what Paul is describing here. And so we think it's vital, and I want to encourage you, if, if you're a brother or sister in Christ, that if you're not involved in a small group Bible study, either on Sunday morning or some other time during the week, I want to encourage you to find one and become part of it. Now, that is where we can build real relationships and get real as Christians and forge those relationships with other people who are also serious. There are things in our life we can afford to drop. Relationships are like that. In this section of Scripture, Paul illustrates the relationships that real Christians have, but they have to be built. There are six building blocks that we can identify in this passage of Scripture, and Paul is our model. He is our example. Here's the first one. How do you build real relationships with other Christians? First, share and exchange stories. Share and exchange stories. Listen to verse 7. Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will make known to you all things which are happening here. And so the first building block that real Christians do when they build relationships with one another involves stories. You learning someone else's stories and that person learning your stories. In the 18th century, during the revival that occurred that dramatically shaped the direction of what became the United States up and down the East Coast, John and Charles Wesley were preaching, and so many people were coming to Christ that wanted to sit under the teaching and the discipleship of John Wesley that he couldn't handle it. And so he formed small groups called classes, the Methodist class. And they had certain habits and practices and disciplines that they observed in the Methodist class system to help people grow in Christ. One of their basic disciplines was when they met, they would ask this question, how is it with your soul? Isn't that a great question? How is it with your soul? And what an opening 
to tell your story or to hear someone else's story. When you and I share stories, it promotes closeness. The better I get to know you in the context of your stories, the better you get to know me. We become more intimate with one another, and trust can grow in that kind of environment. Telling our stories also provokes ministry. He says that when Tychicus knows their circumstances, he will be able to comfort their hearts. It promotes ministry. If I know what's happening in your life, and you know what's happening in mine, we have a foundation by which to minister to one another. Stories also produce growth. I can't tell you how many times I've listened to someone tell me their story, something God is teaching them, showing them, something that they do as a habit of life, and I learn from them. I'm learning by listening to their story and what God is doing in their life. And then stories also prompt praise. When I hear about the work of God in your life, it's an occasion for me to say, bless God. Praise the Lord for what he's doing and accomplishing in your life. So the first building block to real relationships is exchanging stories. But there's a second one. Make the hard times easier with a ministry of words and presence. Look at verse 10, how Paul speaks of this. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, and I don't know what to call him, so I just call him JJ. These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. Now look at what he says. They have proved to be a comfort to me. And so the second building block of real relationships in the church and among Christians is a block of presence. A block of presence. Football coach Pepper Rogers used to tell this story. He said, a few years back, I was in the middle of a terrible season as coach at UCLA. And I know that year, it was 1971. I looked it up. It was a bad year. It even got so bad that it upset my home life, he said. My dog was my only friend. So I told my wife that a man needs at least two friends, and she offered to buy me another dog. <laughs> When others scatter or offer to buy us a dog, when, when those people evacuate, it is the believer, the real Christian, who moves in to comfort us. And the Apostle Paul says that these guys were a comfort for me. Now that word comfort means to describe a way of speaking that actually lifts or alleviates the weight or the experience that someone is having. It's a ministry of presence. They were there for him. It's also a ministry of words. They use words to make his life better and not more difficult. Now, I know there's a risk when you and I try to encourage with words, especially when we haven't experienced what someone else is experiencing. And we have to take that risk. And I believe that as you and I are doing the other things that Paul taught us in terms of walking with the Lord Jesus, if we are sensitive to him, we're growing in that sensitivity, he will give you words to say to encourage other people. But we always run the risk of saying the wrong thing. But friend, I think if we will be bold and confident in the Spirit's leading, that he will use us to encourage each other with our words. And we run the risk of making mistakes, that's okay. 
I'd rather make the effort than make no effort at all. So it's a ministry of presence and words. I can't minister to people long distance. We have to get up close, up close and personal. And that's the advantage of the Bible study groups that we offer here at Wynn Baptist Church. Well, there's a third block. Pray intensely for other believers to experience spiritual growth. Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those in Hierapolis. And so the building block he mentions there is prayer. And as he describes these various relationships, prayer is a building block. Here's a guy that's praying for people. It's kind of like people in his hometown. And he is interceding for them. Now, when Paul said he prayed this way, he tells us a couple things about this guy's prayer life. First of all, he says that he, he is praying that they stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. He's, he's asking, in effect, God, for these dear ones that are on my heart, I pray that they would not miss one detail of your will. I pray they would experience everything that you have planned for them, that they would experience all of the growth that you have planned for them, that everything that they experience, that they would take full advantage of it. And then he describes his prayer life as laboring fervently. And that is one word in the original language, and it's a word that we get agony from. And it describes the effort of an athlete who has put out every ounce of energy, every link, every iota of their own effort into a race. And he says, this guy's prayer life is like that on their behalf. Now, a couple observations about this. When we intercede or pray for somebody else, if that's all you ever do, it's enough to change the world. It is absolutely vital that we intercede for others. Now, some of you who are senior adults may feel like that physically you can't do much in the church. Sometimes I hear them say, you know, I can't do much. I'm, I'm, I'm not able to do what I used to do. I can barely get up there. But you need to know that your prayer life can still be white, hot, and effective and a greater ministry, perhaps, than anything else you've ever done. Your prayer life is vital. It is, it is absolutely vital. Did you know that the Apostle Paul taught in Ephesians 6 that prayer should be made continually for all the saints? Now that means that every person here needs someone praying for them. Everyone. No exceptions. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl needs someone praying for them. And when you're part of a small group and you have need, there's a higher probability someone will be praying for you. But that's one of our goals here at Wynn Baptist Church, is that there will come a day when 100% of the time somebody is praying for somebody else and everybody has somebody praying 
for them. But another observation here is that intercession not only has the potential of changing the world, it can make a difference in your life and your walk with God. In 1 John 5, 14, he says that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so the burden as I pray for someone is not just to throw out what I think God wants to do or ask God to do what I think is best. But the challenge is to try to discover what God wants to do. And the more I pray for someone, the more I am seeking to draw near to the heart of God to understand how he wants me to pray for someone. And so your own life is enriched by interceding because you're, you're getting on the same page with God. You're caring about the things that he cares about. It will affect the way that you see other people and your heart will begin to beat with his heart in the same kind of compassion that he has for the person that you're praying for. Prayer is a building block to real relationships in the body of Christ. Number four, connect to other believers with acceptance, affirmation, and affection. Connect with them. Listen to verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. The fourth building block to real relationships in the body is acceptance. The word acceptance. And we, we see this in this word for greet. You know, we think, hi, how are you? And that's usually not a real question. And we say, hi, just fine, doing great, which is often not honest. You know, our greetings tend to be superficial. But in that day and time, a greeting, a greeting was an opening of a door to a much deeper relationship. Uh, and it's very different for Christians, according to Paul, when we send a greeting or when we greet someone. They were opening the door. These guys had never met the Colossians. And they're opening a door to a relationship to a people they had never known. Dennis the Menace in a cartoon is seen walking away from the Wilson's house with his best friend Joey, and they're carrying armloads of cookies. Joey says, I have no idea. This is totally amazing. This is unbelievable. Why in the world? What, what did we do to deserve such a wonderful gift? And, and Dennis responds to Joey, and he says, Look, Joey, Mrs. Wilson gives us cookies, not because we're nice, but because she's nice. And you and I as believers, we are loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven and accepted in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ indwells us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And those of us that know grace have the greatest capacity to give grace to others. The believer does not have the option of sitting back and waiting for others to come to him or her. We are called to take the first step. We are called to take the initiative in building relationships with other people. When we do a welcome on Sunday morning, do you only go to the people you know, or do you go to the people that you don't know? When you're walking through the hallway here on the property and you see someone you don't know, do you go out of your way to stop and say, hi, my name's Don Pusick. What's your name? Demas and Luke, the beloved physician, had not met these Colossians, but they made the first move. Greeting in the ancient world typically involved these three things. Acceptance. When you greeted someone, you were saying that you were not a threat. There was no hostility. But even more than that, 
you are automatically opening the door to a relationship to them. The, the words of affirmation were typically included. Notice how the Apostle Paul affirms the people in this passage. He uses their name. He mentions ten people by name here, over a hundred in all of his letters. He uses people's name, and so should we. Now, do I know everybody's name in Wynn, Arkansas yet? Sometimes I have trouble even at home remembering everybody's name. But that doesn't mean we don't work on it. That doesn't mean we, we don't want to learn all their names. And so when you have someone you don't know and you think, gosh, I should know them by now. I feel so embarrassed. It's okay. Stick your hand out. Say, I should know you by now, but I can't remember your name or I don't know your name. It's okay. Just keep at it. Paul affirms by using people's names. And then what's really fascinating to me, he not only tells us who they are, he tells us what they are. Listen to what he does. Verse 7, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, in verse 9. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner. And man, he and, he and Paul had been through it together. And Ephesus, Aristarchus was the one that was thrown out in the arena and got arrested. I mean, they, they had been through prison together. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, it was a badge of honor. Verse 11, he refers to Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, and also known as Justice or JJ, as fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Epaphras is a bondservant of Christ, a slave of Christ, he says. And Luke is the beloved physician. How do you describe the Christians that you know? How do you talk about other Christians? Paul's showing us something very, very important about how we accept and affirm people. When I was a new believer, and I've shared this before, but I, there was this, this uh, Bible study that would meet in San Antonio at a youth pastor's home on Friday night, and it was just a regular church, and it happened all over the country like this in the late 70s. I would go to that Bible study on Friday nights. The first time I went there, I didn't know anybody. Two, two other students had invited me to that Bible study. And I was captivated by their warmth and their friendliness. And so I said, sure, I'll come. And I went there. And the youth pastor's wife was a little Korean lady. I think she was three and a half feet tall. I don't know. She was really short. Her name was Sue. And Sue, Sue grabbed hold of me. She found out I was a new Christian. She took me by the hand. And I towered over this lady. She took me by the hand all through the house meeting Student after student after student after student. And she would say, Here's, this, this is Don. He loves the Lord. He's a really neat guy. And I'm going, I'm a really neat guy? I guess I am a really neat guy. I mean, she affirmed me. She, she said it so many times, I began to believe it. And how valuable it is that when you and I introduce people, we try to help them build that connection. We, we share something about each one with the other person. We try to help build those relationships. And so Paul demonstrates acceptance and affirmation, and then he, in other letters, talks about affection. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm signing up, except it involves other guys. So maybe I would just say, let's try to use an appropriate, culturally acceptable means of showing affection. But it should involve touch. It should involve closeness. 
a hug, a handshake, a hand on a shoulder, letting people know that you care for them. So acceptance of that fourth building block. There's a fifth one. Pursue and maintain relationships with believers and other churches. Now this is kind of surprising, but listen to what he says in verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, that's down the road, and Nymphus in the church that is in his house. Now, I don't know if Nymphus house church was in Laodicea or it was another church in Colossae. That's not clear. But he says, those who are in Laodicea, Nymphus in the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, church down the road, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. We don't have that one. But it does talk to us about this fifth building block. And the fifth building block is his church. Building real relationships with real Christians means that I understand first and foremost that the relationship I have for all eternity is with every person that has been born again and that is a child of God. You know, when I meet someone and I discover that's who they are, you know, all of my behavior towards that person now is already dictated. We may go to a different church, we may have different practices, different sets of beliefs about certain things, but if they are truly a brother or sister in Christ, I have no option except to love them because they are part of his church. Jesus Christ loves the church. I must love his church. And it's absolutely insane that churches would ever think they should compete with one another at any level. We had a pastor from um, down the road drop in on the office this week. He was talking to Todd, spoke to me. And um, he was talking about what they were doing. And we, we asked him questions about his ministry. And we got talking and he said, he said something in passing. And I know he's trying to be cautious because so many churches are competitive and that sort of thing. He said, I just want you to know that if I'm out knocking on doors and uh, come across one of your church members, and they come, I say, I don't want you to think I'm trying to steal your members. And of course, I said my wiseacre remark, which is, if you can steal them, you can have them. <laughs> but then I quickly said to him, I said, you know, the truth is, in Wynn, Arkansas, just outside sin limits, if you put us all together, there's probably about 9,000 people here, maybe 18 to 20,000 people in the county. And this morning, friends, 75% of those people are not in church anywhere. We are not in a competition. On April 14th last year, I was called to be your pastor in the evening worship service right here in this room. On that same day, at First Assembly of God Church, just down the road, they called Keith Underhill to serve as their senior pastor. I didn't know that they were calling Keith to serve here, and Keith didn't know I was coming to win. But Keith and I have been friends for several years, first meeting in Monticello, Arkansas, and having worked together on numerous things there when I was an interim pastor. And so I, I called up Keith, and he contacted me, and we rejoiced in the fact that God had put two friends together in the same town 
at the same time who both had a heart to see God come to a community. Because his heart cry, my heart cries the same. We want to, in our generation, we want to see God come and revive his church. We want to see the presence of God come and dwell among his people. Now, aside from the fact that I don't think it's an accident that God put two guys together in the same town without them knowing about it, aside from that, the fact is that we are not in competition with First Assembly of God or Union Avenue Baptist Church or the First United Methodist Church or any other church in this community. Because we've got a whole lot of people that need to know Jesus in Wynn, Arkansas, and Cross County. And we need to love his church, people. Everybody that names the name of Christ that is truly a born-again child of God, they are, they are not just members of another church. They are family. And you and I need to treat them accordingly. The sixth building block, the final one, is strengthen others with the truth. Strengthen others with the truth. Listen to verse 17. And he's writing to the whole church at Colossae, and he says this, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. So the sixth building block is this. It's speaking truth to each other. Speaking truth. Because he has a word of truth for Archippus. And in building real relationships, we're going to have a word of truth for each other from time to time. Sometimes it feels a little uncomfortable when we share something like that with another brother or sister in Christ. It's kind of like what these people do in Japan. And um, a missionary I read about this week, a woman uh, who lives in Japan, mom and wife of a missionary, describes her first time getting onto a train in Japan. And somebody all of a sudden rudely pushed her from behind. And she whipped around and gave them a hard look and then discovered that this was an official acting in their official capacity as an official pusher. They help people get on the trains. Watch this. At that point, if it was an American train, we would have done a high five. You know, got them in there. <laughs> they were pushing on those people. And you know what? When we're in relationship with each other, there's times where we will push each other as well. Now, before we strengthen each other with the truth, it helps if we've done the other four or five things that we've talked about. It helps if we've traded stories. It helps if we've demonstrated acceptance and affirmation and affection and so forth. And that environment then we can begin to strengthen one another with the truth. Paul essentially is saying to Archippus, 
Archippus, do what God said to do with your life. Now, was he failing? Was he slipping? Was he doubting? Was he drifting? We don't know what was exactly going on with Archippus, but we do know that Paul spoke to him. And he didn't speak to him straight in order to criticize him or discourage him. He did it to strengthen him. And when you and I are in community with one another in a biblical church environment of small groups where we do that for each other, we're going to find ourselves from time to time pushing each other with the truth. Building blocks for building real relationships in the body of Christ. So brothers and sisters, this morning, how are you doing on building relationships? I want to encourage you. If you're in a Bible study group already, what can you do to take it deeper? I'm sitting here remembering a book that I read some years ago by Gary Collins. It's called The Safest Place on Earth. And the whole premise of the book was that he had practiced for years as a counseling psychologist. And he had become absolutely convinced that people who are hurting and people who need to grow and people who need to change can experience more growth in a small group than they can by themselves, even with a one-on-one counselor situation. It is his idea that you grow in the context of the church. His idea. And so I want to encourage you to think very carefully about your relationship to his body. And if you're not part of a Bible study group, I want to encourage you to explore one. We, we have them meet each week, 945 right now. And uh, we're getting ready to add another Bible study hour in the fall because we need more space. And uh, in all of this, our purpose is to make more room for more people, but also so that people might grow in a very real Christ-centered community. What's your relationship like to the church? And then if you're not a Christian this morning, what's your relationship like to Christ? You know, the whole reason he invented church is he wants us to be in relationship with each other. But the whole story of Scripture is that God Almighty wants to be in relationship with you. The story in the book of Genesis is that God was the one who went to the garden to walk every day with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. Later, we read in Exodus how he invented the tabernacle so that he could dwell in the midst of his people. And then later, we read about the temple and how he gave his presence to the temple so that he could live in the very center of the nation of Israel. But his ultimate goal was to be with you, in fellowship with you. And that's why when a person puts their trust into Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, one of the consequences of that act is that his Holy Spirit comes to live inside you because God wants to be with you. You were made to be with him. You were made to be in fellowship with God. Sin destroys that. Sin breaks that. And all of us are born broken by sin. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, taking the punishment they deserve, but also destroying its power so that you could enter into a relationship with Almighty God, your Heavenly Father. This morning, when we stand and sing, this is part of our worship time. And, and in this church and what we do here, 
this is a time for you to respond to what God is saying to you. If you're a Christian, you may just want to bow your head while the rest of us sing, or you can come and kneel quietly at the altar and pray about the burden of your heart or what God's saying to you. If you're not a Christian, we invite you to slip out of the pew and come take one of the pastors by the hand and just say, I want to know God. I want to be in a relationship with him. And they'll share scripture verses with you that you can read for yourself. They're not hard to understand. And you can read for yourself how a person enters into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ.